Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, nerds. Welcome up to host the Adam Can't Talk today. Hey, nerds. Welcome to episode 395 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam. I am all by my lonesome today. Uh, today's episode is an interview I did with Ben Aronovich, the author of the wildly popular Rivers of London uh, kind of fantasy mystery series. It is, oh my goodness, these books are so fun. Uh, the main character's name is Peter Grant, and it's just everything about these books are so, so great. Uh, he is a both a detective and a wizard, um, and there are vampires, and there's twists and turns, and there's mythology, and just so much in these books. There, it's it's amazing. Um, we nerd out a lot about London and how he put together these books and just there's so much goodness in here. You're going to love it. Uh, I I was blown away by these books and I was so excited when I got to talk to Ben. So uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversation as well. But before we get to that, we've got uh, a little bit of housekeeping that I want to uh, I want to run through just to kind of catch everyone up to speed. First off, we have a ton of amazing things coming for you in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll be sharing our December books for you. Uh, that episode is going to drop right on Thanksgiving here in the United States. Uh, so it will be available for you for your travel and all of that jazz. That one's going to be just Jill because I'm taking off Thanksgiving week uh, to rest and relax and all that jazz. But Jill has my books as well. So you'll get all of our books that are coming out in December that we're excited about. Uh, you're also going to hear some just really, really fun and amazing interviews that we have lined up for you. Uh, first, there is going to be a super special conversation with Barbara and Tiba Marlowe, which uh, is going to probably make you cry just a little bit. Uh, there is a conversation with Ethiopian-American author Maaza Mengiste, which uh, it was so much fun. Uh, Catherine McGee is coming on. She's the author of American Royals. Uh, and we're also doing an interview with someone very, very special to Jill and I's hearts for our 400th episode. We are going to be interviewing Overdrive CEO and founder Steve Potash, quite literally the reason we are both employed and the main reason that all of you out there who read ebooks and listen to audiobooks through your library, uh, he is the reason that all of that happened. Uh, of course, being December coming up, we'll of course have our best books of the year. And we're going to do best audiobooks of 2019 as well with our friends from Audiophile. So, so much goodness going on. Uh, we're also going to be giving you guys an update on the 2020 Professional Book Nerds Reading Challenge. Uh, the response that we got from the 2019 Reading Challenge was just so phenomenal that we couldn't not do it again. So as a reminder, if you are doing our 2020 reading challenge, uh, be sure to email us your finished product at professionalbooknerds 
at overdrive.com. Uh, we're going to take all of those up until the very end of December, and then we'll pick a winner early in January, and we'll uh, we'll send you guys a device and probably some swag because I think we're getting some fun new swag in our office, uh, some Libby swag and Overdrive stuff, all sorts of good things. Um, if you need a copy of the reading challenge to fill out, you can just go to our Twitter, which is at ProBookNerds, uh, and I also think we have it on our website, ProfessionalBookNerds.com, but at ProBookNerds, our, uh, our pinned tweet is going to be the, the first thing you see. That's our 2019 reading challenge. So that is that. I also want to give you a little bit more fun conversations that uh, you can hear my voice on. Uh, I did a lot of talking this week, folks. So if you go to onepagepodcast.com, uh, that's the one page at a time podcast. And if you have any questions about Overdrive, I went on their podcast for a while <laughs> to talk about all things Overdrive and Libby and libraries and the ladies who run one page at a time uh, are just so much fun. We had an absolute blast. We bonded immediately over a million different things. Um, so that's onepagepodcast.com, and I am on there episode 9 and also episode 9.5 uh, because that's how much we spoke. Uh, so if, you have any qu- if you've ever been like curious about Libby or Overdrive or the difference between the two and all of that, you can find that at the one page podcast uh, at onepagepodcast.com. And also, if you are an aspiring writer, if you go to Kobo Writing Life on Facebook, I did a Facebook Live chat with uh, the kind folks at Kobo Writing Life, and you'll find that video over there. And we talk all about how uh, authors can get into marketing their book if they're an independent author, how they can get into libraries, you know, why libraries are so great for authors and the discoverability and all sorts of great stuff. Um, Bonus points to you if you listen to both of this week's episodes and those two things as well, because goodness me, you'll have heard my voice a lot. And really, I appreciate it. Um, Also, just want to give a quick plug that if you are enjoying the podcast and you haven't done so already, if you would give us a five-star review or five-star rating and maybe a quick review on iTunes, we always appreciate that. That's wonderful. If you want some recommendations, just shoot us an email or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. I think that is everything, a lot of housekeeping, um, and I won't keep you waiting any longer. So I hope you guys, if you're in America and you are celebrating some holiday time, I hope you have a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving weekend, uh, whether you celebrate with family or friends or you choose not to celebrate, but you maybe have some time off. Uh, Regardless of, of how you choose to spend the week, I hope it's a good one, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ben Aronovich on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi everybody, it's Adam and I am extremely excited today to be joined by Ben Aronovich, who is the author of the wildly popular Rivers of London series, composed of several novels, short stories, comics, and graphic novels. The urban crime fantasy series has been enjoyed by countless readers around the world, with the most recent installment being the novella titled The October Man that came out earlier this year, and the next full-length novel, False Value, will be coming out in February of 2020. And the series is currently in development for television as well. That is a lot of things. Ben, thank you for joining me today. Well, it's lovely to be here. So for the uninitiated of our, of our listeners who may not have had a chance to read your books yet, do you mind kind of giving us an introduction to the Rivers of London series? Ah, 
I always find that really difficult. I'd rather write the novel than um, have to trace it. But <laughs> I'll give it a go. Uh, I think the best way to think of it is as a police procedural, supernatural, a supernatural police procedural. I have. I, I always thought of it as what if Gandalf joined the Sweeney. I'm not sure that really goes covers a lot of ground anymore. Um, uh, it's basically, if you imagine a combination of gritty police procedure, where where you know you actually follow police procedure as opposed to kind of like make it up as you go along, and, and mad fantasy. I think that's probably the you know it's, it's an urban fantasy mm-hmm. is, is what it is. Mm-hmm. But, but vampires don't sparkle though. <laughs> Very unsparkly vampire. So, so there's, you know, what's interesting is there are so many books in the crime genre out there. But what made you want to put kind of a fantastical spin on the genre itself? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I've always liked crime, science fiction, and fantasy. So um, when I decided to write the novel, I couldn't make up my mind what I wanted to write. So it was always going to be a combination. And uh, a crime science, a science fiction crime novel seemed like uh, a lot of research. Little did I know <laughs> at the time. So, well, so science fiction crime novels go out of date much faster. <laughs> uh, but there's also and you also baked in some mythology in there, correct? Uh, yeah, there's lots of well. I mean, I lot, a lot of the mythology I just knew. I'm a Londoner, so therefore I knew a lot of the mythology. You know, I'm, I'm a Londoner. I read a lot of fantasy. I've read a lot of history. Uh, I, I just knew a lot of it. So you always start with something that you've got a lot of. It's always useful to start with something you actually know quite a lot about. When they say write what they know, people always make a mistake when they when they say write what you know. What they mean is what do you have in your brain that's handy. <laughs> to start with okay you know and and build off that it doesn't mean you know you have to write about yourself some people seem to interpret that to mean you have to write about yourself or people like you but what it actually means is you write about what's in your brain you know and so like you know 30 years of, of, of eclectic reading it was in my brain and so therefore i wrote about that i just pulled stuff out and also i, I went and researched my sound stuff and but it, you know it makes it sound much more um, deliberate. <laughs> I just kind of came up with the basic idea and then went, ah, and wrote it in a kind of mad panic, really. I think it's the best way of describing it. I mean, it's certainly the fastest book I've ever written. I just went, ah, because I knew it was good, you see. I kind of, I don't know, I just knew it was going to go. I knew, you knew, you knew, I knew it was a goer. So I, I, that's what I did, basically. Well, I'm, I'm, I like that you said, you know, you talk about it. People always say, write what you know. But if you have, with, with something like Rivers of London, which I'm, I'm assuming you probably had in your mind early on to that you were hoping it would become a series, I have to imagine it's more so like write what interests you because you're going to spend so much time in this world that it, it would probably get tedious if you weren't actually enjoying yourself as well. Well, I always interpret, I, I always say to people, they say, what's the one piece of advice? You know, actually, it's surprising how often people say this to me. What's the one piece of advice to give to new writers? And it's always write the book you want to write. Don't worry about what anybody else wants. That's really, really interesting. And then, so knowing that it's things that that you want to write and that you would, as a you know, as a reader, be entertained by, there are parts in there that we talked about with the research side of things. You know, with it being a crime novel, how much research goes into the various crimes that you put into your stories? 
Well, it's not so much. Research sort of breaks down into four parts. There's the deliberate research I do before I start the book, where I read a book and think, oh, I'll have that, oh, I'll have that, and I'll make that, and I'll have that. Oh, I think that can go in a book. That's brilliant. And then there's the sort of second stage research is when you go, oh, I'm going to need some of this. And that's when you go out looking for stuff that sort of fits all the bits you've kind of stolen and put you, you kind of put the connective tissue. And then there's the third kind of research when you actually started the novel, when you realize that you should have researched something else earlier but you didn't and you have to rush out and research it in a terrible hurry that's usually things like police procedure the law things you weren't expecting you know, bits of the uh, locations you didn't expect the story to go to and then suddenly the story goes and you have to go down and have a look at the location or kind of wander around and read books up on on obscure subjects you never thought or you have to find people you know latin and things like that uh, and then you've got the mad research which happens at the sort of like in the last half of the book when you're kind of thinking to yourself, ah, oh, quick, I need some lagging, and you'll probably find, often you'll find me on Twitter just asking people, you know, whether ginger can be grown in the back garden in, in London and stuff like that, which is like the latest question. <laughs> literally me just going, oh, ginger, I don't know anything about ginger, and I could, yes, I could go on the internet, I could probably go on Wikipedia, but sometimes it's just faster to go on, because there's lots of people with knowledge out there on my Twitter, you know, in, in Twitter sphere, and you just go, Ginger, at least one person will know all about growing ginger in London because they grow ginger in London. It's much better always to get that person who actually does the thing to tell you than it is to read the Wikipedia page or even a good book. So, resources, very important. So here's, okay, so I love this because as you were saying this, I literally pulled up your Twitter page. You're not lying. The most recent thing you asked is how easy ginger is to grow in London. I love the fact that you don't put any context behind it you just leave it out there for the world to to wonder what you're well, noodling that, on that would, that would be a spoiler proper context <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's so okay so other than the going to twitter that's my new favorite way of doing research i'm stealing that um other yeah, than on facebook but I'm, i like twitter more than facebook so mm-hmm. I, I go on twitter yeah uh so but from you know from the, the crime standpoint having written so many novels now and, and having so many of them being based in london like have you been able to form relationships with the local police or is this something that you're going about from a research standpoint kind of uh, i i have i have people who I, there are people please read my books and then they, 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 some, some of them get in contact with me and say, you got this wrong. <laughs> in which case, I grab hold of them and I don't let go uh, until they retire, basically. And there's a couple of people like that. Where I go, oh, thank you. You're now my police research person. Yay. <laughs> and, 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 you know, so it, I've noticed this, since I've started actually telling people that's what I do, the number of complaints, the number of kind of, oh, I think you're fine that you got that wrong. That's gone down a bit. <laughs> But I'm warning you now, anyone who's listening, if you if you get if you, you see me on Twitter, you say, Oh, I found in your book that you got that wrong, you risk becoming an advisor. And it's a thankless task. <laughs> um, so the you know, most of the stories that you write are connected with your main character, Peter Grant, but your most recent novella, The October Man, came out again earlier this year and you introduced a new protagonist, which is Tobias Winter. So what was the experience like after spending so much time with Peter, writing a brand new person to kind of tell the story through? Well, the thing was, is that I keep creating these characters and they keep not going away. And uh, Tobias uh, Winter was this character. I created him and he wouldn't go away. And he just goes, I want to be in a book. I want to be in a book. And um, so I, I, I sort of created the novella series 
and I would have somewhere to write about these characters that weren't Peter Grant, but weren't the full-length books, because those are the main focus. So that would be fun, you know, and that would, it wouldn't matter if no one bought them, basically. I mean, from a kind of purely mercenary point of view, <laughs> they're fun, and if they don't sell, then, you know, my publisher's not going to kill if I write a full-length novel and it doesn't sell, my publisher, you know, will drop me like a, a hot <laughs> banana. So I thought it'll be fun. If people could say, yeah, if people like them, I may bring them back or they may come in. But, it, you know, it, it's just so... But Tobias Winter really, really wanted a novel really, really badly and he wouldn't shut up. And so basically the only way to shut him up was to give him a novel in the same way with Abigail Kamara, who's the next novella. Mm-hmm because she wouldn't shut up either. And what, even She's actually even worse than Tobias. But I had the kind of German story ready to go, so, so she, Tobias went first. I love the idea of you just kind of sitting at, at night having, you know, a restless sleep and having all of these characters sort of fighting. It's not at night, this happens on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say is like the, the chief difference between Tobias and Peter? I love Tobias because he's not Peter in some ways. And in, uh, the chief difference is that Peter really, 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 really wants to do magic a lot. <laughs> he's very keen. He's very enthusiastic. And and Tobias does it much more out of a sense of duty because it's his job. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, I like and he's, he's much more kind of he's cooler and he's more distant. Whereas Peter's very enthusiastic. Tobias is this lovely German irony behind him. You know, and... Uh, yeah, he's actually much more enthusiastic than he lets on, but he's got this veneer of kind of irony and everything behind his thing. And I just liked that voice. It was just fun. I, I liked it because he's, he's, he's much more kind of... And also, being Germany, everything's much more organized and there's a lot more forms. So <laughs> he, he kind of... I love the idea. I just like the idea of that kind of very German way of doing things. So it, it, was, it was kind of... It, that That's kind of what appealed to me, and that's what appealed to me about Tobias. And then Vanessa... Uh, Summer, you know, as soon as I had the name Vanessa Summer, I thought, oh God, now I've got a couple, I've got, you know, I've got a pair, Summer and Winter, oh shit. <laughs> and uh, so Vanessa was a lot of fun, and she's a lot more like Peter in that she's very enthusiastic about learning magic and stuff, although she's not like him in other ways. And, you know, and it was fun, it was fun. Also, you know, they're armed, which is quite a big difference for police. So they actually carry pistols, you know, and mm-hmm. they're actually trained to shoot people. So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big difference between um, Peter, who, who's not trained to shoot people with guns anyway, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and we'd call him back up to do that. So that's kind of funny. So he gave it a slightly more kind of x filey vibe that they're actually armed and, and stuff like that, <laughs> although not really because... The, the actual x filey vibe is coming much more from the, the novella after the next one, which will be... Agent Reynolds, which is going to be proper, proper FBI in the middle of nowhere, small towns, probably filmed somewhere in Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to take a quick break to talk about our good friends from Literati who are sponsoring this episode. Tis the season of annoying buzzing, beeping, shrieking loud toys with small pieces that seem designed to impale your feet. But this year, you can give the kids in your life something a little bit different. Literati is the subscription book club that makes it easy to find interesting, unique books your kids will love. And for the first time ever, and just for the holidays, you can give a single Literati box. 
Each of these eight limited edition boxes contains five world-renowned books based on a theme inspired by the kids who make our spirits bright. They also contain original artwork and stickers with your child's name. Not sure which theme to pick? You can always get a gift card and then they can apply towards an annual subscription. And I have to tell you, I talked about it in the past when Literati was previously a sponsor, but these boxes are so beautiful. There's just the artwork alone and the stuff that comes with your child's name. It's so gorgeous. It was such a joy to get to give these to my nieces and nephews. And I know you're going to love the same if you have any children in your life. This year, you can give the gift of stories by going to literatibooks.com and using our promo code PROBOOKNERDS for $20 off your first box. Plus, kids three and up are going to get a special blacklight pen. That's literatibooks.com, promo code PROBOOKNERDS for $20 off your first box. Literatibooks.com, promo code PROBOOKNERDS. Um, you mentioned Peter uh, before, and um, a few weeks ago we had uh, Michael Connolly on the podcast, and he said you know, he's written like dozens and dozens of these books about this Harry Bosch, who's his main character, and he said a way for him to keep the stories fresh in his mind since he's spending so much time with the same character is that he ages Harry Bosch in real time. And so for him, he's able to take on new challenges with the character, even though he spent so much time with him. So for you, having written about Peter Grant so much, how do you keep it kind of new and exciting for yourself, having spent so many years with him at this point? Well, Peter, Peter's not aging in real time because the books aren't real time. The books do have a chronology. I know what year they're set in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so the, the one I just finished is set in the end of 2015 and the beginning of 2016. And I know how old he is. And yeah, and they have life changes, which I, I don't want to say because they'll be spoilers, but there are life changes, you know, in his life. He gets old, he's mature. He's, he's a 25-year-old when he starts. So he's not, he's not a young, you know, in a sense, it's not a building man. It's a, it's a, it's a how do you pronounce that? It's, it's a story, it's a, it's a man, it's, you know, it's a proper adult guy. He's a proper adult guy that's old, though he's a bit childish, I have to admit, in the first book. Um, and... He kind of like he kind of like grows up. He just has the same things. But I didn't want to do kind of like sinking into depression and becoming an alcoholic and all the other normal cop cliches. So um, I wanted him to have a, a sort of, he has a normal life. He has relationships. He's going to have to deal with you know um, the the fruits of relationships. I really don't want to spoil things for people later. And. And all of that, and 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 also in his case, you know, the, the special problems that come with the fact that he's having a relationship with a very special person, and you know, special in 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 quotes, mm-hmm. very special person. <laughs> so, um, so when you sit down to write a new story in the series, whether it's with Peter or someone else. Uh, regardless of if it's a, a novel or a short story or a comic or anything, what is the hardest part of the process for you? Because it seems like you have all these stories planned out pretty decently in the future now, but you know, what's the hardest part for you through the writing process? Uh, the hardest part, there's, 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 there's three hardest parts. There's the writing at the beginning, the writing in the middle, and the writing at the end. <laughs> those, are, those are the hardest parts. But do, do you find uh, that well, it's... By that, I mean, there are easy bits. In the world. What I mean, like, it's, it's very, sometimes it's very hard to start. Once you start, you, you build up some momentum, and then you, you come crashing to a halt somewhere in the middle where you go, 
close to the beginning what your end game is going to be you know it sounds like you you build out the the story as you go along a little bit but do you know what uh what target you're trying to hit or is it a moving target it for you it varies it varies some of them i have a very clear idea of where it ends some of them i have no idea where it ends some of them i have kind of like a vague kind of splooge right uh-huh. uh, uh some of them i know i know the tone but not the details and some of them i know the details but not the tone um basically uh you know it, 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 i like more part of the fun of writing for me is finding out where it's going so i yeah i was, I was just gonna say you sound like you know you're saying that the the writing process is hard and, and i i agree and i feel like any writer i've never I've, we've yet to to interview an author who says that the the initial writing aspect is easy that person i don't think it exists it's like a marathon right <laughs> it can be very pleasurable uh-huh. but there are points during the marathon where you think why the fuck did i agree to run 27 miles right <laughs> and then you get to the end and you go through the thing oh, i finished and you stop and you go uh I, actually, I'm taking this all this on observation of other people because I've never run a marathon. Mm-hmm. You go, I'm never, ever, ever, ever doing that again, right? And then mm-hmm. you flop down in the flopping down area. <laughs> and about three minutes later, you're thinking, you know, if I train now, I can probably do New York in three months. <laughs> yeah, and that's writing. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, writing and running. It's it's people enjoy having written more than writing. I think. Well, I enjoy the actual when it's going well. It's very enjoyable, right? And I think everyone enjoys it when writing well. Everyone, what distinguished the kind of person who's go on, going to go on to be? Well, I don't say professional, but long form. I think somebody who's going to knock out, you know, over eighty thousand words, or actually over forty thousand words, really, mm-hmm. is that someone will write through the pain. They will write through the pain barrier and get onto the next bit, or they will come back and they will tackle the pain barrier later. But however someone who has found a way to deal with those kind of difficult bits. The easy bits are easy and fun and enjoyable. And when you're writing like a character who's just flowing in your mind and they're having like witty dialogues just pulling out of your fingers and you're like, oh, yeah, it's the most fun you can have with most of your clothes on, really. But, um, <laughs> you know, when it doesn't, then it's a lot of pain. I, I don't want to go too much into the kind of misery of writing. It's, it's like, as Terry Pratchett said, it's an indoor job with no heavy lifting, you know, and, and <laughs> I've done other jobs, and this is preferable by far to any job I've ever done. So. Oh man, that's so funny. Uh, something that I I adore about your novels, in addition to the stories, is the covers are really really unique. And um, I'm just curious, do you have any involvement in the kind of the layout of the design? I know that they very much follow what the first book in the series looked like, and but do you have any? 
Uh, well, that's Kendall. very funny. I mean, not not outside of Britain, but fortunately, most people take their line line from the the, the British and Commonwealth books. Mm-hmm. Um, it evolved out of a kind of discussion. They said we want to do like this, and I said I want to do like that, and then they said, well, what about this, and I said, what about that, and then we kind of. Uh, my agent noticed this map by this this piece of artwork actually by a guy called Stephen Walters, which is called the Island, which is is basically a map of London, a hand drawn map of London, but made out of memories and ideas and things, right? Mm-hmm. And that's basically the map that forms the backdrop for all the books. So what happens is we I say uh, uh, I say to the designers. Um, uh, they say, where is it going to be set? I say, it's going to be set here. They say, what sort of elements are in it? And they say this. And then they find that sort of space on the map. And, and then they sort of design the elements around it to, to, to sort of reflect that. And then they choose the color scheme. Um, and, uh, for example, False Value has this, this kind of green and black color scheme. Mm-hmm. Not because we thought, aha, we're bored with green. We do green and black. But because it's, uh, it's, it's about... Silicon Roundabout. So we wanted that CRT screen green, that kind of old-fashioned CRT screen mm-hmm. green uh, on bla- on a black background, and it will make it stand out. And everyone will go, "Oh, look at that!" You know. And, but those are kind of decisions are made on a book by book basis. Uh, if you look at the cover of the October Man, it, it's actually subtly designed differently so that it will stand out. So you won't mistake it for one of the Peter Grant books. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that we don't want people being disappointed. You don't want your readers picking up a book and being disappointed. So we wanted to make it very clear that this is not a mainstream Peter Grant book. That's why it's got the German badge on the front, it's yeah. got the, the eagle on the front. You know, the next one will have a, a, a badge, a different badge on the front to show that it's a, 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 an Abigail book. And, you know, obviously the next one will have a, the FBI badge on the, on the link to show that it's a, an Agent Reynolds book. And that way, you know, people will know what they're getting when they read the book. Because I hate it when when publishers try and make you buy a book by accident. I think it's a low blow. Mm-hmm. I understand why they do it, but it, I still think it, it just destroys kind of uh, reader trust, so I try not to do it. I, I love that you're talking about how the October Man, and you, you said it has, a, a, it's subtly different on the cover. Like, I, the design is subtly different, but I mean, the German Eagle is a pretty big giveaway. That's not yeah. hiding anywhere. <laughs> No, The, the entire Rivers of London series is also being uh, it's, it was optioned for a television series as well so can you kind of give us some information about that and are you involved in the process at all? Uh, yeah, horrifyingly I am involved in the process it's not to take the money and run <laughs> but unfortunately I've never been able to do that which has always been my downfall when it comes to television adaptations <laughs> um, it's, been, it's been optioned by Stolen Pictures which is uh, the outfit um, uh, best known for for uh, Nick Frost and and Simon Pegg's mm-hmm. production company. I mean, it is you know I, I have to have a little thing. 
Nick, Nick, first and Simon Pegg are, are famous and everything and, and, and lovely people, but they also have like a very good team. There's like, it's not just them, there are um, very good money people and very good production people that are kind of run, help run the program. And basically, because they're creative, they created this company to be basically very friendly to creatives. So they have given me quite a terrifying amount of involvement in the story, <laughs> in, in the production. The, the upset is that, which is great, but the trouble is, if it's crap, it's going to be my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be able to go, oh, God, I was betrayed by television, will I? Because I was there, you know, out on set. So that's going to be a, a bit of a, a bummer if it's horrible. Um <laughs> That is the right. attitude of a, of a writer. That is like the true attitude of a writer right there. It is, it is the true attitude of a writer. But it's also, I've worked in television, so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, television's very tricky. This is a very expensive show. This is not a show that's going to be knocked off by the BBC. <laughs> it's, it, you know, because the BBC might, we are, the BBC could well be involved in it all if, if they wanted to be as a broadcaster, but it's too expensive to be made by one. So it's going to be a massive co-production with lots of money from outside in it. And they're going to want their pound of flesh. I don't know what they're going to want in return for, you know, I wouldn't give me a million pounds an episode personally. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the other thing is I, I, I actually wrote the first book to be unfilmable. So I deliberately wrote the book because I'd been a scriptwriter and I, I was writing my this novel and I was going, oh, I don't need to worry about budget anymore. I shall burn down Covent Garden. Hurrah! <laughs> oh, yeah, now it's bite. Now it came back to bite you. See? See what she did there? So, yeah, now it's come back to bite me. Now they're going, Covent Garden, really? Do we have to burn down Covent Garden? Oh, man. <laughs> haven't got, we haven't even got to that stage yet. We're still at the very, very early pre-production stage where we're kind of putting together a package which we will then try and sell to people mm -hmm. and, you know, try and get interest from. And I don't get involved in, in the trying to get interest on So this all happens out there in, in, in you know, money land. I, 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 stay in, I stay in closeted writer land. You know, they let me, I, I'm in the attic and they let me out. <laughs> and, and then they shut me back up in the attic when I've done the right Oh, that's so funny. Okay. Um, so, left turn a little bit, but if you could write stories in a different fantasy world, what, uh, what like, existing book fantasy would you like to tell a story in? Oh, I'd, I'd like the final Terry Pratchett book. Oh, that's, a, I like that a lot. That's really good. <laughs> you know, the, I, I don't know if it would, I would, I would write, I would write an more pork books, but I would, I would really, by the way, even if, if, by the way, if someone came up to me and said, we want you to write a Terry Pratchett book. I wouldn't even think about it, mm -hmm. you know. But if 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 I had if I had the ability to write like Terry Pratchett, I'd write a Terry Pratchett book. <laughs> I, I do want to write some, some space opera and stuff because I I really need to write something with a rocket in it. <laughs> Very old fashioned space opera with like rockets that stand up on their fins and stuff like that. I really I need to do something like that because my brain is going. I want ray guns. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, like the character in the Lego movie. You know, so, <laughs> so uh, towards the end of our podcast, we always ask uh, nine lighthearted questions that we call the Nerd Nine because I like alliteration. Okay. Uh, so the, the first nine one, <laughs> the first one is: What is the last book you finished reading? Uh, I have just finished Miles Cameron's Cold Iron, 
and I'm just waiting for the next one to come up so I can read that. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Uh, yeah, I go to the cafe because if I'm at home, I, I get feel guilty that I'm not reading. So I go to my local Greasy Spoon and have coffee and bacon sandwiches and, and read there. Do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid? Yes, I know exactly what it was. It was Star Rangers, also known as The Last Planet by Andre Norton. It was my first ever proper science fiction book. It was my first ever book that I ever took out of a library. And that was it for me, really. I think that was my fate was decided with that. <laughs> um, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Well, I mean, do you mean realistically or unrealistically? We can do unrealistically. Uh, I... Um, oh, yes. I, I think I'd quite like to do a tour of castles in, in Central Europe. Oh, I like that. That's a really... I like that uh, answer a lot. A sort of Dracula tour. Of, I mean, I've been to the Czech Republic, and, and uh, I would like to do Slovenia and... Uh, and I would like to do Romania and, and some of the, you know, as long as I can do it in comfort. Right, so I'd want to do it in a big co- in, a, in a big coach, you know, with someone who knew what they were talking about, would show me around and everything. I'd like to do that. That would be fun. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate, like Christmas or New Year's or anything like that? No, I quite like holidays when no one phones me so I can get some work done. <laughs> That's fair. Um, uh, so Easter's very good for me because cause I, I don't celebrate Easter and lots of people take Easter off. And so therefore, uh, and there's lots of bank holidays, you see. So I, I get lots of work done while everyone's off doing whatever it is people do at Easter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I know the answer to this because I'm speaking to a Londoner, but coffee or tea? That's uh, coffee. Oh, I did not expect that. You're the first uh, British author who has said uh, coffee. So that is interesting. I drink, I drink tremendous amounts of tea, but, you know, if you went to eat coffee or tea, I'd have coffee. Okay. Yeah. Uh, cats or dogs? Uh, dog. Uh, stupid dogs. I like very stupid dogs. <laughs> Do you have a favorite food? <laughs> um, oh, uh, yeah, I like, I like, uh, I like schnitzel. <laughs> well, you know, that's very on brand with the recent book being German. That that makes sense. Yeah, I, I like going to Germany. I like. I mean, I, I wish I'd discovered Germany thirty years ago. I'd be a lot fatter. <laughs> and, uh, I'd, have, I'd have had a lot more schnitzel. <laughs> and then uh, last one of these: if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, do you go for someone you think would be entertaining, or do you go for someone you'll learn something from? I always go entertaining uh, personally. Well, it'd be too sad to have dinner with Terry, wouldn't it? Um, mm. That would just be upsetting. I'd just spend the whole thing crying. <laughs> uh, I, uh, God. That's, that's like one person out of the whole of human history. That's not really fair. I No, uh, I know. I always... Mine is Jim Henson, if that helps move your creative... Oh, well, yeah. He, well, he lived across the road. I can see his house from here. Oh, um, oh my God. <laughs> No, it wasn't. He's a bit further on. It's actually quite close to where the baby goes out the window in the first book. Um, <laughs> his office was there. Oh, God. No, I, I, I can't make a choice. There's too many people. I'm too spoiled for choice. 
I can't think of anyone. That is okay. My mind has gone blank. That is that is perfectly okay. All right, well, I will leave you with this. One last question for you. What do you hope people take away from reading the Rivers of London books? Uh, I hope they enjoy them. That so is, you, want, yeah. you want them to be inspired and, and, and go out and be better people and everything. But basically, as an author, what you really want is people to enjoy your books. Everything else is like a bonus. Everything else is gravy after they enjoy it. After enjoy it. They don't have to enjoy it in the kind of like giggly way. They can enjoy it in a kind of, oh my God, that hurt my heart way. But as long as they enjoyed it. That is absolutely perfect. Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.